Hello and thank you very much for downloading this Northumberland Voices podcast. My name is Jo March and I'm one of the archivists at Northumberland Archives. We have a fantastic collection of oral histories which record the voices and experience of people from all walks of life across the county of Northumberland and this is our opportunity to share them a little bit more widely. This recording in particular is an oral history interview that was recorded in 1975. Nora Balls will tell you her own story, but I think it's worth mentioning here that Nora was 92 when this recording was made. At the time, she lived in an apartment in Bamborough Castle, where she lived out her well-earned retirement. The other voice that you'll hear is Amanda Arrowsmith. She was an archivist at Northumberland at the time. Very proud to be a sailor's daughter. Mm. And to have a grandfather and a great grandfather who um, went all over the world in little sailing ships. And I was very proud too when I went into the Cuppy Sock to find pictures of four of our different boats from the little schooner called the William Balls, which used to sail out at the time, to a much more impressive boat with steam and uh, ancillary sails, on which my father served when he was married. Mm. And so from the very beginning, from when I was a baby and was taken away on a boat to um, Norway, oh. I've been used to the sea. When I look back on my school days, they were very, very mixed. My brother and I went to a little school in Docker Square in North Shields. It was kept by two fearsome ladies <laughs> called the Miss Mason. Miss Rebecca was a moving spirit. Miss Hannah was rather kindly and not quite so aggressive. And they really were terrors, especially Miss Rebecca. Duckra Square was an interesting place. It was built, I suppose, about 250 years ago. And uh, there, the rather important people in North Shields had their homes, the doctors, <coughs> the solicitors, the uh, ship owners, and uh, the people who really began to make a little money. And we went there for nearly eight years. Walking for a mile down King Street, which has long since vanished, walking a mile four times a day. No buses for school children in those days. No. One of the things I always remember about King Street is the children, hardly any of the children had shoes. Really? And once a year, they 
there used to be a police fund raised and the police used to present the children with uh, boots and shoes. Hmm. But all that part of North Shields has gone. My brother and I used to still go occasionally to see how things were getting on. And uh, one by one, streets vanished, as indeed they should, because they were condemned to be years and years before. Then I went to school in Tyler, to Miss Herbert's. And there are very few people left now, I think, who used to go to that school. Any who are left are in their 80s, verging on 90. Mm. And that rather nice house has been various things since it was a school, a boarding school. And uh, now I think it's turned into flats, mm. so many large houses are. Well, now, we came to live in Tynemouth. My father, who was going to retire, built a very nice house opposite Holy Saviour's Church. Oh, yes. And uh, in those days, it was the first house, and we could see right over the country as far as, almost as far as the Tuvians. And certainly as far as Langhorst de Moor. And there were no houses round about except Percy Park. And I used to take my dog every morning round the fields. (coughs) (coughs) And one of my vivid recollections is the cross which was standing in a field near a farm which was known as the Monkhouse Farm. Mm-hmm. This was a cross said to be put up in memory of a man who was killed by one by the Lord Delaval. Mm-hmm. It's the story of a monk who went from the Priory of Tynemouth to, to uh, Delaval Hall and they were cooking in the kitchen a pig's head. <laughs> and apparently the monk simply couldn't resist the smell of the pig's head. Oh, no. He picked it up, popped it under his cloak, and set off for Tymon over the fields. <laughs> when Lord Delaval returned from hunting and found that his favourite tidbit had disappeared, <laughs> he dashed across and overtook the monk at the spot where the cross was raised. And round the foot of the cross were these words, and that when I was a child, or a teenage girl, really, about 16, you could still make out the words which said this, Oh, horrid deed, to kill a man for a pig's heed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all that part of Tynemouth now is covered with uh, with little houses. And uh, the shaft of the cross is in the Priory. Oh. And the last time I saw it, it was absolutely black. No oh. sign, of course, of carving. No sign of a 
the uh, with the words of oh, mm. indeed and uh, it did just show what the pollution must be mm. that comes down the river yes indeed because the stone was absolutely black mm. well it was about this time that my mother took me to a suffrage meeting. It was addressed by Mrs. Fawcett. Now, Mrs. Fawcett had been working, and her sister, Dr. Gerrit Anderson, had been working quite a long time for votes for women. My mother, who was a very strong-minded person, mm. but not a keen suffragist, took me there. Why? I can't think. <laughs> I was really not particularly interested as I was too young. How old would you be then? Hmm? Sorry, how old would you have been then? I would be not more than 12 or 13. Oh, gosh. Yes. <clears throat> Perhaps a little older. Yes. But anyhow, nothing came of it, of course. Mm. And uh, years after, when I was in the village at Tamil, I came on a lorry at the fountain. The fountain has vanished long ago. Uh, but it used to be a favourite place for meetings. And now, of course, it's a car park. Ah. But um, this lorry was standing by the uh, fountain, and in it, were two or three ladies, and I stopped to listen. They were talking about women's suffrage. And the long time that women had worked, and without any results whatever. This was a new association, which was going to be much more lively, and uh, insist on some on votes for women becoming really a matter of practical politics. Yes. And I thought, dear me, it's years since I heard Mrs. Mrs. Fawcett talking like this, and had nothing been done. Mm. And so, I signed my name as being willing to become a member of the Women's Social and Political Union. And as I never joined anything to become just a sleeping partner, I began to take a very keen interest in it. And uh, after some time, I shall never forget this, I was induced to go to a by-election. The Women's <coughs> Social and Political Union used to go to by-elections to uh, talk to the people and to uh, oppose the Liberal candidate. Oh. They always opposed the Liberal because we said the Liberals paid, paid lip <coughs> service to the movement and yet didn't do anything. Oh. And so I went to Hoyk Burroughs with several other people, and we used to have our wagonette 
always in front of works, if possible, or where we would get hold of the workers coming home to their meal. Mm. And this was Pullo's Dye Works. And for the very first time, I took the chair. And my goodness, was I nervous. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely terrified. Yes. Standing up on this wagonette uh, in front of perhaps three or four hundred men. So after that, we went to quite a number of dialections. Now, in the north, in Newcastle, and in Northumberland, there were several very ardent suffragettes who, although they wouldn't come out into the open and uh, stand on street corners or do anything of that sort, were always behind us, helping and encouraging. One was Lady Parsons, mm. the wife of Sir Charles, the great inventor, and the other was Mrs. Taylor of Chipchase Castle. Oh, yes. And her daughter, Violet Taylor, and I did a lot of work together. Mm. And uh, she was the very last, I think, of the group that I knew who died about two months ago in the mm. South. She left mm. Northumberland. Mm. And uh, that began a very, very busy time. And of course, I remember too, the by-election South Shields, mm -hmm. where we went in force. There was a, a rather strange but interesting group of people by that time who were members of the BS, WSPU. Every sort of person mm -hmm. Rich and poor, and uh, looking back on it, it was quite remarkable to find how they worked together with, with one special aim. Yes. And I remember Mrs. Pankhurst and Christabel both came to this by-election at South Shields. Yes. And I was very much embarrassed when Mrs. Pankhurst, having lost for some reason, the chairman at the mass meeting said, Nora Balls shall take the chair. <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> I was terrified. It was without doubt my baptism of fire. But you know, no one ever said no to Mrs. Pankhurst. Oh, yeah. She was the most remarkable woman. Mm. Even my mother, <laughs> who was very difficult in some respects, came under Mrs. Pankhurst's spell and uh, became quite as keen as any of us and never said no to anything special that I wanted to do. Mm. Christabel, there were three daughters, Christabel, Sylvia and Adela. Mm. Sylvia and Adela were very plain girls, good speakers. Christabel was much more alive, a 
and very bonny, and always beautifully dressed, ah. as far as that age went, mm. and uh, an excellent speaker. Well, Mrs. Pankhurst, of course, had wonderful eyes. Mm. People mocked on her eyes, and uh, beautiful voice. She could make her voice. You know, there were no uh, amplifiers in those mm. days, and yet we were quite accustomed to projecting our voices for quite long distances. Yes. And uh, Mrs. Pankhurst, too, had a gift of repartee. <laughs> There's the classic example of when a man threw a cabbage at her. And she said, yeah, the gentleman has lost his head. <laughs> but normally, when we went to the meetings, uh, say, Armstrong's works, yeah. we always got the same uh, repartees. And the men extraordinarily had an unoriginal. They were always the same things. Go home and darn your husband's socks. Oh, yes. Go home and mind the baby. Mm. Always the same thing. Well, of course, sometimes they threw quite heavy things at me. Yeah. I had quite a collection of things that I collected in Yorkshire. Oh. I put them all on the rock. Really. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that you see, there were hooligans in those yes. days, just as there are now. Were there many men who were actually in favour of it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Mm. Then it was decided that the deputation should carry a large petition to the House of Commons to Mr. Asquith, mm. who was a very hard-bitten uh, anti-suffragette. Yes. And uh, from Newcastle went Mrs. Brown, the Browns, Mrs. Brown, Nora, Kathleen, they were very keen. Kathleen went to prison and was forcibly fed. And uh, Mrs. Mrs. Brown was a very delicate woman. And we marched together, a long strain of women, from the Caxton Hall. When we got to the Houses of Parliament, of course, there were police who wouldn't allow us near. I always remember how I clasped my arms round the railings of the House of Commons. Mm. I've never been near the House of Commons since. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in the American Senate, I've been in the, quite a number of uh, parliaments, but never in our own. Mm. However, we refused to budge unless we saw Mr. Asquith. And of course, Mr. Asquith absolutely refused to see us. So eventually, we were arrested and taken to the police station. Mm. And after, it was 1910, mm. after all those years, you know, there are just little things that I remember. Yeah. And one was, Lying on the floor, going to sleep, 
in the police station with my head in a coal bucket. Oh, God! And we waited and waited. And eventually, Mr. Pethick Lawrence came and bailed us out. Mr. Pethick Lawrence eventually became Lord Pethick Lawrence. Oh. Well, we went. We were. We got our bailer sheets, and we had to go to court the next morning, which we did. And uh, we were sent away, and no charge was offered against us. So we said, "Well, we try again next tomorrow. We tried again next night. Same thing happened." We tried the third time. Still, Mrs. Brown and I, pressing against the railings at the Houses of Parliament. Yes. And the policemen, policemen know very, very much. I have a, well, I had a very great opinion of policemen. This man was rather rough with Mrs. Brown. Mm. Now, I knew she was a very delicate woman. Of course, really. People would say she'd no business to be there now as she had. But uh, once again, I battered this policeman's arm, and uh, he took me out for assault. <laughs> Same thing happened. Only we had a new man, a new magistrate, the following morning, Sir Albert de Rootson. Sir Albert de Rootson was a little dried-up man. That sort of feeling, he hadn't any teeth. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, what I do remember very vividly is that he said, he looked at me when I, as I stood in the, in the dock. This is a most dangerous woman. However, <laughs> Mr. Winston Churchill was Home Secretary then. And he had said, well, I refuse to let these women make themselves martyrs. Mm. And uh, once again, we were all released. Now, we used to take suitcases with us because we intended to demand to be treated as political prisoners. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember very vividly, one of the parsons, Mr. Cornebia, who was vicar of St. George's time. He was a very keen suffragist, and he used to come and carry my bag. Oh, <laughs> good for him. <laughs> so actually, although I've been in prison in different countries many times and since, I've only been as a visitor. Oh, God. <laughs> well, you know, in time, came like a thief in the night, quietly. The war came. Suffragettes who were all, I think without exception, the most loyal and keen people, furled their flags and set off for uh, war work. It's quite interesting to look back and see the different things that people did. I started a canteen for the soldiers at Whitley Bay. 
body did suffer. That, of course, was the First World War. Yes. And uh, then we all went our different ways. After the war, Lady Parsons and I started the guides. And uh, nothing, I think, could have been more rewarding than the work I did with the guides. Many of them now are, uh, well now up here there was Phyllis Craster, she's a grandmother of course, mm. she went to my first camp. Mm. Lady Hoick, she was at my first camp. And uh, the Bosonkate, Dr. Bosonkate's oh, yes. sister. Oh. And uh, after that, I did a lot of camping and became camp advisor. Mm. And uh, through the guides, I became interested in, in birds. And uh, in fact, in life generally, and then I was induced to go on to the town council mm. in Tyworth. And there, of course, I had some, had some very amusing experiences. I remember my mother going up to an old fisherman standing on the cliff at Colourcoats. And her opening gambit was that I don't know whether you uh, I don't know whether you approve of women being on town council. <laughs> and he turned round and said, Well, maybe it's an but man, you are far all young. <laughs> and of course she was canvassing for her daughter. Oh, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and then another amusing thing I heard was um, that having a meeting in North Shields and someone told me this, two old men standing at the door would be, aye, this to that maid's carry on, she'll never get in. <laughs> However, there were three candidates and I got more votes than the other two put together. Oh, excellent. <laughs> so I, I did pretty well. What an amazing life. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed Northumberland Voices, please do subscribe as we'll be uploading more content with more oral histories from Northumberland. Thank you. Bye.